Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Robert Yeager and the Tao Foundation. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalbathanchel. If you graduated high school two or more decades ago, you may remember Votech. The program included classes like woodshop or cosmetology, and they were for the students who didn't get the best grades, and they weren't expected to go to college. That thinking behind Votech has changed. Today, where we live, we look at career and technical high schools known as CTEs, both in Connecticut and nationwide. These high schools blend traditional academics with technical skills that encourage students toward specific careers. And going to tech high school doesn't mean a student is less likely to go to college. We'll speak with a researcher from UConn about his study of technical high schools. And coming up, we'll talk with administrators in Connecticut and to students. Later, we'll hear about a unique partnership in California that will soon open a public high school on the campus of a big software company. We want to hear from you. Did you graduate from a technical high school? Did it help you get a job or better prepare you for college? You can join the conversation. That number, 860-275-7266. Comment on our website, wmpr.org slash where we live. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. And if you're not near, uh, and if you're near a radio or if you're by your computer, it's always at wmpr.org to listen to our live stream. Joining me in studio now is Sean Doherty, Assistant Professor of Education Policy at the University of Connecticut. Welcome to where we live, Sean. Good morning, Lucy. So I understand you have uh, researched technical high schools, specifically in Arkansas. So tell me about uh, what led you to that research. Sure. So uh, the the long version is I, I was a high school teacher and assistant principal before becoming a professor. Uh, and, and so in some of that work, I taught students who attended our local technical school. And then as an administrator, I was the liaison to that local technical school. And uh, I, I was impressed by the different level of engagement that some of my students who attended the technical high school seemed to have just in coming to school in general. They sometimes were students who had, you know, lower <clears throat> lower grades or were less uh, engaged in certain parts of school, but they really enjoyed going to the, the tech school. In fact, some days they came just so they could do that. And, and, and so when I made the, the transition to academic work, uh, I had an opportunity to do some work initially in Massachusetts looking at technical high schools there. And from there, the interest has, has kind of blossomed. So the, the technical high school system in Massachusetts looks very similar to what we have here in Connecticut. Uh, but, you know, it's often tricky to understand how, uh, how attending these schools impacts student outcomes. And some of that's a question of available data for researchers. And, and so to, to end up in Arkansas, Arkansas has a phenomenal data system, and it links across uh, public schools, higher education, labor market data, all the sorts of things you'd want to know if you were studying technical education. And, and so I was able to partner with uh, the Arkansas Research Center at folks in Arkansas, as well as the Fordham Institute in Washington, D.C., to, to cobble together the, the data and opportunity to, to look at impacts there. And before we find out more about that um, study uh, in Arkansas career and technical high schools, you mentioned again that you had taught at a tech school and, and were assistant principal. Was this in Connecticut? No. So I, I was actually at a, at a traditional comprehensive high school uh, just outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where I'm from originally. And, and the, we had a, the technical high school was shared by five different school districts. 
and it just happened to be on our campus. So students would walk between the technical high school and our comprehensive high school uh, doing the, their academic coursework in one place and then their technical coursework in, in the other. And, and this kind of split model is similar to what is in place in many states, though different than what we have here in Connecticut. So when did that shift happen between um, our idea of VOTEC? Like when I was in high school, there was the VOTEC track um, to this idea of technical high schools. Where did that shift happen or when? So some of these high schools have been in place for a very long time. So, for instance, in Connecticut and in Massachusetts uh, and in New York City, uh, there have been schools around for, for 40 years. Uh, however, there's been a recent kind of resurgence now in the mid-90s when, when public education was getting the kind of first standards movement, thinking about creating even standards at the state level. Career and technical education was thinking about becoming career and technical education, making this shift from thinking about vocational education and traditional trades only to expanding to, to more fields of study and to really emphasizing the extent to which there was this interplay between you know, academic preparation and technical preparation and, and putting folks on career pathways. And so some of that evolution kind of started in the kind of, well, certainly in the 90s. And, th and then over the last, I'd say, you know, five to 10 years has been seeing an even greater resurgence. There's been massive growth in, in these high schools in New York City. Uh, the, a lot of investment in these high schools in, in Massachusetts and Connecticut and refurbishing schools and expanding and adding programs that are really much better aligned to the you know, economy of the 21st century and the economy of our region. So you studied the Arkansas system. What did you find down there? So in Arkansas, we found uh, that students who participated in career and technical education in high school were more likely to complete high school. Uh, they were more likely to have a job when they finished high school, and they were no less likely to go on to college than similar students who, who did not participate in technical high school, and that kind of bucked the conventional wisdom that, that students who participated in, in technical education would be much less likely to attend college. And it seemed like there was, in fact, no difference. Uh, the other piece that we found, and I think this is important, is consistent with other research, is, is that wages were higher among students who, who went to a technical high school and, and were concentrated in a particular area, which meant that as they were going to college or as they were working uh, only outside after high school, they were earning higher wages on average 3 to 5% than than similar students who were not didn't have that training. So it shattered this uh, the misconceptions we have that if a, a student is going uh, to a particular school learning a trade in high school, that that means that they're probably not going to go to college. You found that that was the opposite in Arkansas, right? So it wasn't they they weren't more likely to go to college, but they were no less likely. And and using it, we saw that the two year college kind of pathway was the, the kind of dominant one among students who are in technical high schools, and that's consistent with what we see in relationships be between high schools and community colleges. There are uh, kind of explicit articulation agreements to help students transition from high school programs to similar or related college programs at community colleges. I'm speaking with Sean Dougherty, Assistant Professor of Education Policy at the University of Connecticut. Today, where we live, we're looking at technical high schools in the state and nationwide. If you have a question or comment, 860-275-7266. Did you go to tech school? And how did that help you uh, when you graduated? Whether did you get a job um, pretty quick or did you go on to college and it helped you uh, connect to another career with high wages? Again, you can give us a call, 860-275-7266. Um, Sean, you now 
now are obviously in Connecticut. I'm curious, you mentioned that Connecticut actually has a, a technical high school system, and you mentioned Massachusetts. How rare is that to have a whole high school system uh, built up? So in Connecticut, it is a true system in the sense that there is a connection, a central administrative body and coordination. Uh, even though the schools run largely independently, there is a, some coordination across the schools, uh, and, and that's extremely rare. In fact, I don't know of another state that has a system that that's, that's that well integrated. The Massachusetts system uh, is there are technical high schools that are standalone. Every student who attends that high school participates in some form of career and technical education, which is on unlike a traditional comprehensive school where maybe some courses are offered, but but not everyone there is studying something in CTE. Um, and Massachusetts and Connecticut are, are two of maybe four, possibly five states, along with New York, New Jersey, and Tennessee, that, that have these you know CTE-dedicated high schools at all. And what do we know about the, the students um, in Connecticut and what their outcomes are? I understand that you're, un, you're undergoing, a, are you going to be doing a new study? Yes, so so I'm excited to be able to answer that question. Right, right now, I'd say that you know descriptively. So if we look at graduation rates uh, for for students in, in technical high schools in Connecticut, they're they're definitely well in excess of what the average graduation rate is for a high school in Connecticut. You know, and that suggests that maybe the technical high schools here are doing something similar to what I found in Arkansas, engaging students in different ways and and helping see them through uh, to the completion of high school and then possibly on to college. Because there's more interest in these schools uh, in Connecticut than there are available seats, that provides a particular kind of analytic opportunity to really know kind of the, the cause and effect relationship between, you know, being offered a spot and attending one of these schools and, 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 and you know, having applied and not then getting one of those seats. So uh, I, I do have a, a government grant from the Institute for Education Sciences to study this over the next four years, and so we're excited to get our hands on the data and, and, and see what's happening here. And how has the, the explosion of technology um, in the last 10, 15 years, how has that shaped how technical high schools are helping students um, go towards a specific trade? So it's no longer about just cosmetology and wood shop and, and machine shop. That's right. So those programs largely still exist, and in, in many areas there are demands uh, for, for those jobs. However, there are also, you know, information technology has been growing over the last 30 or 40 years as a segment of our economy, but it's been growing very rapidly in recent years. And so now you can, you can do, you know, Cisco Systems certifications through technical high schools in, in Connecticut and, and across the country. You can also get good training that would allow you to, to do sort of te- technical work or installation work uh, in, in IT. Advanced manufacturing is an area that's kind of evolving very quickly in customized manufacturing. So, so think about you know not just mass producing, but mass producing in ways that are more customized using 3D printers with applications in, in biotechnology and, and aerospace, which is big in our state. So I, I think there are you know lots of lots of growth in programs like that, and including health, health services, which is another big employer, rapid rapidly growing, and, and lots of differentiated jobs within that. You mentioned advanced manufacturing. We got a call earlier from George. He said one of his tax clients is a machinist at Pratt & Whitney who's 23, and he made $93,000 last year. He writes, you can make a lot of money in technical work. That's right. So, uh, and, and that is not uncommon. I, I had uh, a, a colleague of mine in Massachusetts whose son made more money doing part-time apprentice work than uh, basically could have paid his full-time tuition with the money he was making doing that out of high school. 
so this is this is is not uncommon. Uh, of course, the higher paying jobs get you know, more attention, but but uh, uh, and so not all jobs pay that well, you know, maybe that quickly. But but in in, in general, wages are, are are strong, especially early career wages, and and lots of opportunity. I know uh, Electric Boat and uh, Three Rivers Community College uh, have created some partnerships, and there's been some press around that. Uh, so. Uh, Folks in this state are focusing on finding ways to to create those jobs. And we're going to hear more about those programs um, coming up in the show. We're going to have the superintendent of the Connecticut Technical High School system as well as some other administrators. I want to take a quick call. Peter, you're calling from South Windsor. Peter, you're on Where We Live. Peter, can you hear me? No, it looks like Peter can't hear me, so we'll just put him on hold, and we'll uh, try to get that call um, later in the show. Uh, But I wanted to go, before we go to break, um, Sean, can we talk a little bit more about stigma um, of technical high schools? I mean, obviously, in certain parts of the state, with manufacturing history, um, you know, I, I would imagine that depending on if you're in a wealthier community, I mean, how do people view technical high schools? Is that changing? I hope so. Uh, but but I think it's changing at different rates in different places, right? So as, as you mentioned, in, in higher income areas where kind of going to college is, is the norm and the expectation, I, I think that there is probably still a stronger stigma. And some of that we can see with certain communities are just much less likely to send their students to technical high schools, you know, whereas traditionally, you know, working class or, or middle class areas or, or areas that, you know, kind of recognize the opportunity for upward mobility via uh, kind of early higher wage employment, it's more common to engage in technical high school uh, participation. So that, and I think that's a longstanding trend. However, I think because now there are so many more programs that are college aligned and have clear college pathways, we, we do see some shifts on the margins. So, I mean, I think it's a slow a slow march, uh, and and I think you know, some areas will still be or are st- more resistant to to kind of putting that on the table as as a viable option. Uh, but but I think as the as the programs and pathways proliferate, it's it's kind of the barriers are being decreased at least you know in some in some places. All right. Well, let me try to take this call again. Peter from South Windsor. Peter, you're on where we live. Oh, I don't think Peter's there. So we're going to try to see what's going on with our phone system. But I'm, again, I'm speaking with Sean Dougherty, Assistant Professor of Education Policy at the University of Connecticut. He recently studied career and technical high schools in Arkansas for the Fordham Institute and found that students enrolled in CTEs, as they're known, um, are likely to graduate from high school, will enroll in a two-year college, become employed, and earn higher wages. Connecticut has 20 high technical high schools in the state as well as a, a technical center. We'll learn more about them after the break. This is where we live.
This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. There are traditional high schools and then there are technical high schools. Today, school districts across the country are moving away from this old model of VoTech to technical high schools, which blend academics with technical skills to better prepare students for careers and college. In Connecticut, there are 17 technical high schools in addition to a technical education center and two aviation maintenance programs. To tell us more about the tech schools in Connecticut, I'm joined in studio by Dr. Nivia Torres, superintendent of Connecticut. Technical High School System. Welcome to where we live. Good morning. Thank you for having me, Lucy. So tell us about the the Technical High School System. How many schools there are and and how students are learning to go towards specific trades in these schools? Well, we're certainly a far-reaching system. We have 17 diploma-granting technical high schools, one education center in Bristol, Connecticut, and two schools of aviation one in Stratford and one in Hartford, Connecticut. And we serve over 11,000 students across the state. And we reach approximately 167 towns of the 169 um, local school districts that we have in the state. We also have over 2,000 adult students registered in an apprenticeship courses, and those courses are offered in six of our sites. So aside from the day program, the traditional technical education program, we do offer a wide variety of course offerings also for our adult student population. Did you say 11,000 students? Yes, close to 11,000 students. We opened our doors for the new academic year yesterday, um, and we are still counting numbers, but certainly close to 11,000 students for this academic school year. So how do students who are interested, you mentioned that's regional, so if a student in Connecticut is interested in a technical high school, how do they get there? Well, let me just say that we are starting our recruitment very early on, and um, I was listening earlier to the comments by Dr. Doherty, and and certainly there has been a shift, a complete paradigm shift in the understanding of technical education. We're trying to reach parents as early as elementary and middle school so that they can see technical education as a viable career opportunity. For those students who are interested in attending one of our schools, they work very closely with their guidance counselors. We do do active recruitment, so all of our directors of school guidance and guidance counselors and principals and students actually go out and they recruit in local towns, and that's something that happens all throughout the fall. We start recruiting for the upcoming school year. So anyone who's interested would work very closely with their guidance counselor to submit an application. So it's very competitive. It is, and we get over 6,000 applications for approximately 3,000 seats, and that's one of the reasons why we're partnering with UConn and working very closely with Dr. Doherty to really understand um, the impact of the students who apply to our technical high school. Do they have an interest and an aptitude, and really what leads them to be successful once they attend our program? And, you know, we were talking about this idea of VoTech um, and the idea of back when I was in high school, and I don't want to say when I graduated, but, (laughs) well, you know, obviously the students who uh, were in VoTech were, you know, they were the ones that maybe didn't get the best grades. And um, there wasn't an expectation that they would go to college. That's no longer the case? That is no longer the case, and I'm really excited to talk about that. As Dr. Doherty was saying earlier, that shift really started in the 90s when we were really looking at standards-based education for all areas, including career and technical education. We started shifting from calling ourselves vocational to now career and technical education. So traditionally in the past, when you think about maybe your father or your grandfather's woodshop class, 
um, there was a focus on job-related skills, hands-on activity. And really, the paradigm shift now has really been to focus more on theoretical content to make sure that our students have a wide array of coursework when they come to us, that it's very rigorous, and that they have an understanding of literacy and numeracy. We want to make sure our students are literate and have um, the aptitude to go on to college if that's what they wish to pursue. And, you know, it's interesting. The reason we wanted to do this show is, you know, there's such an emphasis in recent years uh, about standards in high school. And so often we hear about students who are graduating, but when they get to college, they still aren't ready for college. They have to take remedial courses. And so with technical education, um, the the way that you're uh, preparing students, do you see that that's less likely, that they're the ones that um, are on par to get that job and to move on to a higher education? We do. Um, let me just say I was visited one of our schools yesterday, um, Oliver Wilkett, um, in Torrington, and I met a young man um, who is actually has taken all of the math courses that we offer at the technical high school, and he's now enrolled in college-level courses. He's um, taking um, some math courses and, and taking some challenging skills that I think would be um, difficult for some of us. He's already finished Calculus one and Calculus two. And that's really um, exciting for us because in the past, I think some parents would not see us as an option for their student if they were excelling in mathematics and were able to offer that now. Let me just also add that close to 45% of our students go into some form of post-secondary education, like Dr. Doherty indicated, that's normally a two-year college. We have a very close relationship with the Board of Regents and the community colleges across the state and the university, the statewide university system. So many of our students go into that. About a third of our students go into the workforce. We have anywhere from 6 to 7% that go into the military, about 7 or 9% that go into work and study as well. So that really gives you perspective of the wide variety. We like to see ourselves as a district of opportunity, and we know that we're really fulfilling that when we look at our numbers. And our numbers are also reflective of the findings in the Arkansas study when you talk about success. Clearly, there's success, and you look at our graduation rate, it's 97.4, which really exceeds the state average of 87.2. Again, that's just a testament of the changing paradigm and perception of technical education in the state of Connecticut. You know, we, we hear so much about the ramp up in manufacturing because of our defense contractors. We, uh, our business reporter, Harriet Jones, profiled um, one of the, the tech high schools down in Groton where you had adults coming to this uh, particular, I think it's the Ella Grasso Technical High School in Groton. They were coming there after hours, uh, after the workday, to learn skills because of this huge submarine ramp up of production happening at Electric Boat. Can you talk about that um, kind of partnership? This is probably one of the most exciting partnerships that we have right now. Um, we actually had a ribbon-cutting ceremony for our new state-of-the-art welding lab um, back in June, um, very early in the summer. This is our partnership with Electric Boat with Three Rivers Community College with a coalition of manufacturers from the eastern corner of the state. Um, Three Rivers Community College is actually going to be using our lab to train adult students, adult students who will be working at Electric Boat. Um, we are providing the location. We are providing the facility, certainly partnering with them in terms of the coursework that's being offered. But this is huge for us, and it's really a testament to the state's investment in making sure that all of our facilities are up to par and meeting business and industry demands 
Um, it's an over $2 million investment um, in terms of the uh, upgrade to an opening of the welding lab, and I would certainly welcome anyone to come and visit. It's truly state-of-the-art, and I think it will really provide a lot of much-needed training in that area of the state. Uh, we're getting a tweet now to where we live from Jonathan. Uh, do tech high schools also teach entrepreneurial skills? He wrote, my arts magnet high school and four-year college lacked that valuable training. We certainly do, and that's something that we want to continue to focus um, doing and making sure that students have exposure to that, but we certainly encourage that. Um, we know that there are a number of our students who, once they leave us, they want to start their own um, business. They want to be able to live and to thrive in the state of Connecticut, so we certainly encourage that. That's actually something that we also partner very closely with, with a number of community colleges who offer those courses and who assists with the content um, that we deliver. Uh, this is where we live. I'm Lucy Nopithanchel. Today we're talking about the future of career and technical uh, high schools and education, not only in Connecticut, but also uh, nationwide. In studio with me is Sean Doherty, Assistant Professor of Education Policy at the University of Connecticut. Also, Dr. Nivia Torres, Superintendent of Connecticut Technical High School System. As she mentioned earlier, there's 17 technical high schools that actually where students can earn diplomas. And we'd like to take your call. We're having a little problem with our call system. So if you want to tweet a question or comment, that's at where we live on Facebook or Twitter at where we live. Um, Sean, I wanted to turn back to you in terms of talking about uh, the Connecticut system. You know, you mentioned earlier, and I think Dr. Torres could also um, add to this about their, the, the interest in the technical high school system. There are there's more interest than available seats. We know that Connecticut is having some budget problems. Governor Malloy has proposed a percentage cut, five to I think seven percent, um, in the technical high school. How does that impact the mission um, and the effectiveness of the system when you have these, um, these budget um, constraints. Do you, you want to start, Dr. Torres? And I'll, I'll, I'll lean over to Sean for some analysis. I'll be happy to start with that. Um, let me just say that that exercise is not only applicable to the technical high school system, but to a number of state agencies. Um, and we certainly understand the state's fiscal situation. I think that for us as a system, we see that really as an opportunity and an opportunity to look at ourselves internally, to look at our programs and services and determine how can we continue to offer our core mission and be more efficient in doing so. And that's certainly the exercise that we've engaged in. I do want to point out um, that it's important for folks to know that over the past five years, the state has made a significant investment in these technical high schools. And I think that that's something that we need to balance there about five schools that we've been able to renovate in a span of three years. There's the welding lab that we just opened in June at LIT Grasso and Groton. Last year, we opened a manufacturing shop in Bridgeport, Bullard Havens, Connecticut, as a result of the request from uh, the New Haven Manufacturers Association in that particular area of the state. So I think we need to balance that out. And finally, there's a five-year, $10 million investment for the state to expand, to renovate all of our manufacturing shops. So there's certainly the commitment there. Um, we understand the current state situation, and we're really working to see that as an opportunity to continue to refine our programs and services. So, so Sean, you're, you're aware of the, the budget problems. Um, you know, because there is this emphasis on technical high schools, um, do we see that there is more investment in them um, nationwide? 
So my perception is is that there has been substantial investment. I, I you know know more about the specific investment in the northeastern United States, uh, but but I know in you know Massachusetts, New York, New Jersey, uh, Pennsylvania, and certainly in Connecticut, there has been a, an emphasis in, in you know really overhauling the infrastructure. Some of which is you know over forty years old at this point, and and some of it's meeting specific demand in the labor market, new new capital equipment in manufacturing that Dr. Torres mentioned, and, and other you know, more specialized areas, uh, information technology, health services, you know, programs that were smaller or didn't exist in, in the way that they exist now have, have been seeing you know, pretty substantial investment. And Dr. Torres also mentioned partnerships with private industry. And I think that if, if you know, t- tighter state financial circumstances you know, help emphasize anything. It's these connections with with business, which is a cornerstone of, of technical education. Because the folks who are going to be hiring students who come out of technical education systems are, are the ones who know best what skills they need, what equipment they need to, to be using, uh, and what jobs are available. And, and so, perhaps in times when you know the state state finances are are not as flush, we can rely more on these you know investments over the last decade that have been made and and creating longstanding benefits for the school system. And, and then also, you know, use this as an opportunity to focus on business partnerships and find ways to really in- innovate and, and, and tighten those relationships as well. Dr. Torres, earlier you mentioned that there are still classes that um, students can take, such as woodshop and machine shop, cosmetology. Um, when they take these courses, how often are those students then going on to a two-year or four-year program? Or are, they get, are they getting connected to jobs? They they are getting connected to jobs. Let me just say we have over 30 um, different career pathways statewide. There are a number of schools who have anywhere from 10 to um, 13 career pathways on site um, at each of the buildings. Our um, programs are really that. There are programs that lead to nationally recognized credentials. So if you're in a manufacturing program, we want to make sure that before you graduate, you leave us with a number of credentials from the National Institute of Metalworking Skills credentials. If you're in carpentry, if you're in electrical, if you're in plumbing and HVAC, then we have a close partnership with the Department of Labor and we want to make sure that you're a pre-apprentice, that you've registered and you've accumulated a number of hours. If you're in hairdressing and cosmetology, we want to make sure that you have passed a state exam for that particular career pathway. So it's important for parents to know that if you're in a career pathway, there's an outcome. You graduate with your high school diploma, and you also leave us with nationally recognized credentials, which really equips you to be very competitive and get that job. And as I said earlier, about a third of our students leave us. Um, They are gainfully employed. They're impacting the workforce. Our core mission is really to create the pipeline in Connecticut, in the state, and to impact um, the workforce and to make sure that that's, those students ultimately stay, they live here, and they continue to contribute um, towards the state. I'm speaking with Dr. Nivia Torres, superintendent of the Connecticut Technical High School System, as well as um, Sean Doherty, who's assistant professor of education policy at the University of Connecticut. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk more about career and technical high schools in Connecticut and nationwide. This is where we live.
This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today we're talking about career and technical high schools in Connecticut. And on the phone with us now is David Teleska, principal of Kanor Technical High School in Waterbury. David, you're on where we live. Good morning. It's a pleasure to speak with you today. I always love talking about our school and our system. Tell us about your particular school. Well, Caner Tech is located in Waterbury. Um, however, we service all, all of our surrounding towns from as, as far as Southington to Southbury and as far north as Thomaston, as far south as, as Naugatuck. Um, it's a fantastic school with uh, 800 uh, highly energetic and focused students, um, and, we, and we focus on uh, both, ac- as, as your conversation was, we focus on both academics and trades. Tell me about the how many students are there and how many of them are going towards a particular. There is there one particular trade that you find um, more students are interested in at your high school? Well, we have uh, upwards of 750 students in 12 different trades. Um, and what we find is that we have a balance of students entering a variety of our trades. Um, we certainly have uh, our, our biggest trades are our culinary uh, our manufacturing is very popular, um, and also uh, we have uh, precision machining, uh, mechanical design and engineering, um, and our new trade is information systems technology, and uh, all of those are very popular trades. Hey, David, we hear often from the manufacturing world that students are, that are graduating high school um, often don't have the right skills to get particular manufacturing jobs. How are you preparing your students for those jobs? Well, we have a uh, a very, uh, I think, a very coherent and a very rigorous uh, curriculum in that in the area of uh, manufacturing, uh, what we call mechanical design and engineering. What we find is uh, our students not only have a rigorous academic curriculum, but they do have a rigorous trade curriculum. In, in addition to what they learn in class, they're working in the trade. Um, in our shop, and when they're juniors and seniors, many, many, many of our of our uh, manufacturing students are out on what's called work-based learning, where they're actually working in the field um, as part of their work, but they also get their student cre- their credit for it. So the majority of our uh, mechanical design and engineering students, when they graduate, uh, most of them have some sort of position that they could slide into as a permanent position if that's what they would like to do. They're highly in demand. The water barrier in specifically, is a, it's a manufacturing town. And so uh, our students are in very, very high in demand. Uh, I'm hearing that technical high schools in Connecticut have actual working restaurants and, and car repair shops. Tell us about that. All of our trades are... They're, they're working trades. So, for example, if, uh, if you wanted to put an addition on your house, we, you know, our students would go out and do the carpentry, and they would do the electrical, and they would do the plumbing. Um, if, uh, if you want a gourmet meal for $6, come down every Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday at Canter Tech, and it's an open restaurant. And our students do everything from take the orders to cook the food. Um, and so all of our trades have that working component to them. I want to take a call now. Maxwell is calling where we live from Wallingford. Maxwell, you're on the show. Hi, thank you for taking my call. I graduated from uh, Wilcox Tech in 2005. Uh, my question is, uh, would you say that the number of hours that students are spending in their trade and technology areas, have that remained constant over the last decade, or has that increased or decreased? All right, well, that's a good question. I'm going to pose that first to our principal and then to our superintendent. Uh, David, did you hear the question? Yes, I did. Uh, I've been in this system. This is my sixth year, and um, the, the amount of time has been consistent. Our students, if you think about a traditional 180-day school year, our students spend 90 days in trades, and they spend 90 days in academics. And so that's been consistent during my time here. And that is that is the same statewide for us as a district. We really try to balance that 
and really focus on the trade technology and the rigorous academic curriculum. But I can say um, that statewide, that is certainly the expectation that we have. And how do you attract female students to technical high schools? Because, again, there's lots of misconceptions out there. Um, You know, maybe we assume that only male students would be interested in the technical high school track. So tell me, Dr. Torres, are there as many female students as, as, as male in the schools? Well, for this school year, we have approximately 58% of students that are male, and that's still changing. As I said earlier, yesterday was our first day of school, and approximately 42% of them are female. Those demographics can certainly change by location, by site. Um, We have done a concerted effort to really rebrand ourselves as a system and also to rebrand our materials so that we make career pathways very attractive to females. So if you look, for example, at the cover of our strategic plan, we have the face of a young lady who really represents the face of manufacturing in the state. Um, If you look at a number of our, um, again, print material, we have young ladies in areas where they would not traditionally see themselves, on the roof of a home, um, you know, setting the roof, doing carpentry, doing electrical work, doing HVAC work. And that's really a testament to the marketing and recruitment efforts that we've been trying to do for the past three years so that females see themselves in these um, traditional male trades. They see themselves as being able to create a viable career pathway for themselves. The other um, item that we've really spent a time, a lot of time on is educating parents about salaries in these particular career pathways. I know that earlier you were referencing about um, the story of a young man who's in the manufacturing field. So certainly helping parents understand that this is a career pathway where, where you could have a sustainable, high living wage and you could be successful. And I think that's very helpful. If I can just share a number, since 2009, we have trained over 2,300 students in the field of manufacturing and 23% of them are female. That is huge for us statewide and as a district because five years ago, we would certainly not see that trend. So being able to say we've trained over 23% of them that are female, again, is, is huge for us as a system. We have a female student in a technical high school in Connecticut. Mara's joining us now on Where We Live. Mara, can you hear us? Yeah, I can. Tell me um, what, what year you're in and you know what trade are you looking to go towards? Um, I'm a junior at Wilcox Technical High School, and I'm in the health technology program. And where is Wilcox? It's in Meriden, Connecticut. And so what led you to go towards a technical high school? You know, earlier we learned that you have to apply to get in. Yeah, um, I actually, in eighth grade, um, my counselor came to me and, you know, she mentioned about a technical high school in Meriden that I could apply for. And she told me that they're really looking for students who are involved in school and very much thinking about the future. And she thought that would be a really good choice for me. So I applied and I got in. And so when you graduate, you've got another, what, this year and next year. What do you hope to do? Um, well, I'm actually hoping to attend college right after high school. And what, what career path? Um, I want to look into anesthesiology and getting a bachelor's degree in biology. And so when people learn that you're at a technical high school, I mean, are there uh, misconceptions about students like yourself? 
Yeah, I think a lot of people believe that at technical high schools, you know, that they're just going straight into the workforce and not a lot of kids are going, you know, into college. And I think that's one of the biggest things is that people don't realize that, you know, technical high schools also gear you for college if that's a path that you choose to take. There's so many options that you have. And I think that's what technical high schools really emphasize is that you have options. Well, thank you, Mara, and good luck to you. All right. Thank you. I wanted to go back to the principal, uh, David Teleska. Again, you get more applications than spots. How do you choose? How do you rank these applications each year? Well, our our system has a very specific process that's a district-wide process that involves um, academics, both literacy and numeracy. It also, uh, there's part of the application that involves such things as attendance and, and other factors for, for um, to break ties and that sort of thing. It is a, it's challenging. And the biggest challenge at Caner is that we have uh, about 200 seats every year, and we have about 900 applicants. And so as, as somebody who was born and raised in Waterbury, uh, you know, we want to give as many opportunities to students as, as humanly possible. The, uh, the challenge is really, quite honestly, is um, we fill up every seat. I want to take another call. Uh, Paul's calling from Middletown. Paul, you're on Where We Live. Hi, how's it going? Well. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to kind of share my experience. Um, I went to E.C. Goodwin in New Britain. Uh, I graduated in 2002. And uh, I grew up in West Hartford where kind of the common thing was, you know, to go to either Conard or Hall and then make your way to college like uh, my older siblings did. Um, I kind of chose a different path, and I went for plumbing and heating. And since then, um, I've, I've gone on to work in the trade, and I've also now for almost 10 years worked at a supply house where now I run one of them. Uh, so it's, it's kind of nice to hear you guys talking about it. And it's nice to let people know that there are other options rather than the traditional, you know, going to college and getting saddled with a bunch of debt, getting out of school and then looking for a job where, you know, a lot of those college education type jobs just don't exist anymore. Um, there's not a lot of people going into the trades uh, especially not even just the manufacturing. You guys have come, been talking a lot about manufacturing, but the, the more field trades like plumbing, heating, HVAC, um, I see plumbers and heating guys every day, and all of them need help. Uh, they all need other people. So it boggles my mind about how many people go in to learn things that, you know, there isn't a huge demand for. Meanwhile, you have well-paying you know, respectful jobs that uh, are going unfilled. Uh, basically, you know, for for I don't I don't I couldn't tell you what reason exactly, but there's so many possibilities in the plumbing and heating trades and in the other trades, and it's nice to hear that this is being talked about and presented in a way that's not uh, kind of degrading in a lot of ways. I think people look down on tradespeople a lot, um, and I think a lot of people you know tell their kids to strive not to get those jobs. Uh, meanwhile, then they complain when they have to pay a guy $150 an hour to come out and fix something at their house. So the uh, it, it's nice to hear it in a positive sense. Well, thank you, Paul. I'm glad that you found success uh, as a product of Votech, and as you said, you're you're uh, doing well and not saddled with uh, school debt. Dr. Torres, did you want to react to Paul's good point there? Well, I, I appreciate Paul calling in. Um, I would say that really the catalyst for many of these changes that we see in Connecticut and nationwide is certainly the state of the nation's economy. And the fact that we have a dearth of qualified workers, particularly in the middle skilled jobs that Paul um, describes, we have the high cost of tuition that we need to deal with. And we also have the changing perception of CTE from vocational to CTE. 
Um, so that really leads us to the conversation that we're having today so that we can educate youngsters and parents and really help them see um, career and technical education in a different light. So I do appreciate his comment. I do agree. We get a lot of calls in the office from folks in the field who are looking for an electrician, who are looking for a plumber, who are looking for someone who is specialized in HVAC. And we try to respond as quickly as possible, but folks in the office will tell you we just don't have enough students to go around um, for uh, to be able to support everybody across the state. And we also have a very growing green industry in the state. So we also need youngsters who are qualified in terms of installing solar energy panels and so forth. And, and there's definitely a need. I want to thank Dr. Nivia Torres, superintendent of the Connecticut Technical High School System. Thanks so much for sharing uh, uh, some knowledge about the system here in Connecticut. Thank you for having us, and we invite anyone who's interested to come and visit any of our sites. We'd love to have you. Also, I wanted to do a quick thank you to David Teleska, principal of Kanor Technical High School in Waterbury, Connecticut. We wanted to shift now to an interesting concept over in California. Uh, a guest, Ken Montgomery, is joining us by phone. He's co-founder and executive director of Design Tech High School in Burlingame, California. Ken, you're on Where We Live. Good morning. It's great to be here. And thank you for getting up so early and <laughs> to join us. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> School starts early. I'm ready to go. So tell us about Design Tech and this idea of citing a public high school on the campus of a big software company. Yeah, so it's, we've, we're at 9-12 high school. We're in our third year of operation. And it wasn't uh, that we set out to say, well, let's start a school and put it on a corporate campus. But in 2014, uh, we met with people, uh, Colleen Cassidy. She's the executive director of the Oracle Education Foundation. And so this was in the spring before we opened. And we realized that there was a very strong mission and vision alignment about what we thought high schools should look like for students. And so at that time in that fall, we were going to be located in um, co-locating in half a hallway in another high school. And um, OEF and Oracle, so Oracle Education Foundation and Oracle, realized that this was our, our program had a lot of promise, and one of the biggest obstacles we had was finding a place to call home. And so that started the process of them working with us and our students, our parents, the architects to build a building on their campus is really custom designed for our vision of education. And so the um, actual high school design tech that's opening on Oracle's campus, that's going to be in 2018. But who are the students that are going to be able to go to this school? Uh, and are they going to be the typical ones that you would see working at a software company in five to ten years? Uh, no, not, not specifically. I, we, we're very we're not separate from Oracle, but we do have autonomy. So we're not necessarily, it's not necessarily that Oracle said, well, let's open up a school and find somebody to run it. You know, we've been working with the design school, the D school at Stanford to teach students design thinking. And so our students are going to graduate with the skills that I think would make them very attractive employees to Oracle, but also attractive employees to a lot of companies. And it is really, one of the things that really got our school started is just, you know, we really feel that the, the deal that we used to make with our kids, that it's broken, that it used to be you could go to high school, get good grades, go to college, get good grades, you know, graduate college, and there's a career waiting for you. We feel that that deal doesn't exist anymore. And so we need to be able to prepare students to make careers where careers don't exist. And so for us, it's really not just about the next four years. It's about 
the next 40 years for these kids. And so Oracle believes that those same skills and that same entrepreneurial mindset, of course, they would make great employees for Oracle, but it's not necessarily just a, a training ground to work at Oracle. And how likely is this model? Um, how could it be rec- replicated elsewhere with other you know, big companies? Is there interest? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it is easy to replicate if the companies want to do it. I mean, early on, Safra Katz, the co-CEO, um, said, I asked her, why, are we, why is Oracle doing this? And she said, well, because it's the right thing to do and because we can. And so the, any corporation can do this. I mean, any place has, even if it's not custom designing a building, that they might have some office space that they could incubate a school in or be a home for a school. And we really, I mean, we really hope that this is a model. I mean, Silicon Valley does kind of does lead the way in a lot of areas. And so we hope that other companies around the country would, would look at this and say, you know, that is something that we can do too. I want to turn back to our researcher in studio, Sean Dockerty, Assistant Professor of Education Policy at UConn. Um, interesting idea, public-private partnership, citing a high school on the campus of this software corporation. Um, can you talk about, is this the trend that we may be seeing in the next five, 10 years? It'll be exciting to see. I, I don't know of other instances where the high school is actually on the campus of, of the of the business, but certainly there's been an increased number of partnerships in sponsoring high schools. IBM has been partnering with PTAC High School first in, in Brooklyn and now a number of schools across New York State. Uh, and, and then there was certainly precedent in health services, hospital partnerships, you know, sometimes in the very specialized industries like the mo- movie industry and, uh, and, and entertainment. So Certainly, as the guest mentioned, you know, there's certainly lots of opportunity and there are lots of resources uh, in, in places like Oracle or other large companies. And, and I think increasingly, these companies 50 years ago used to do these sorts of education programs in their own, on their own sites for folks they had already hired. So that it's, you know, it's possible that this could be a new way of kind of reinvigorating those programs that had largely gone away in creating these partnerships between the public sector and the private sector. Well, I want to thank Ken Montgomery, co-founder and executive director of Design Tech High School in Burlingame, California, opening in 2018 on the campus of Oracle, a big software company out there in Silicon Valley. Also, Sean Dockerty, assistant professor of education policy at UConn. An interesting hour. We want to continue this conversation on our website, wmpr.org slash where we live. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter at where we live. Thanks to Lydia Brown and Jeff Tyson. Our technical producer is Kion Wolf. Executive producer is Katie Tularski. I'm Lucy Nalpathan. Thanks for listening.